It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. On your Friday episode of Locked On Raptors, the Toronto Raptors fall in a dud to the Washington Wizards. I'm going to tell you why I'm a little bit concerned about the Toronto Raptors offense, which has actually been a surprising strength all season long. We'll dig into the need to find some core lineups for the in-between moments of games. And we got the good, the bad, and the hmm, all that and so much more coming up on today's episode of Locked On Raptors. Thanks so much for hanging. Oh, because like, when I shot, I expected to make it. So like, I don't shoot kind of this. You are Locked On Raptors. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Canada, the NBA title is yours. We're going to the free time of the Hail Mary 3 by Mo Pete. Get that garbage out of here. What's going on? Welcome to episode number 1352 of Locked On Raptors for Friday, March the 3rd. I'm your host, Sean Woodley. I've been covering the Toronto Raptors now for nine seasons on various platforms. You can find all of my work over on Twitter at WoodleySean. You can follow, subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast for free on your favorite podcast apps. And of course, we are on YouTube. Please go hit the big red subscribe button on the Locked On Raptors YouTube channel as we push towards 3,000 subs. We're almost there. If we could get there over the weekend, I would uh, be very, very grateful to all of the folks in our lovely Locked On Raptors family. So uh, thank you for uh, participating, supporting the show, all that good stuff. Let's get to it on today's show. Breaking down a 119-108 loss to the Washington Wizards. A real bummer of a game, man. <laughs> like You come in, you have 1-8 of 10, everyone's feeling good. You have that great fourth quarter from Scotty Barnes against the Bulls on Tuesday. You look at two games against the Wizards, who the Raptors have owned in recent history. I believe coming into this one, 11 of the last 13, the Raptors have beaten Washington. Uh, they got those stupid pink jerseys, and it's like, all right, this team is ripe for the beating. You go down 10-0, you go on an 18-2 run in response, and you think, all right, here we go. Things are going to be all all right with the Raptors, and they're going to be able to put some distance between them and the Wizards. Instead, not so much. Uh, one of the more, I think, uninspiring games the Raptors have played this season. I don't think it's like an embarrassing sort of, you know, DEFCON 1 level loss or anything like that, but certainly didn't get enough from way too many guys up and down the roster. We'll get into Nick Nurse's rotation weirdness coming up later on. We got the good, the bad, and the hmm. We'll dig into Fred Van Vliet's shooting struggles last night and a lot more. But first, let's start with uh, my sort of big takeaway from this game, which is that I'm a little concerned about the Toronto Raptors offense. And look, there's degrees of concern, right? Do I think that the Raptors are going to plummet to the depths that they did at the worst points of this season where their offense was like literally the worst half-court offense in the NBA? No, probably not. And the numbers suggest that that's not happening right now either. But there's just some stuff, some sort of underlying numbers under the hood and just some like anecdotal observations stuff that's got me feeling a little bit worried about 
the next 18 games, most specifically. Do I think it's something that's going to carry on long term? It could. We'll talk about some reasons why that could be. But mostly, I'm concerned about the offense really hitting its groove between now and the end of the season. There's a very limited runway to work with here. And they don't have a lot of time to find that cohesion offensively. And look, you might just say, hey, Sean, the numbers with Jakob Pertl on, on the floor have been fantastic. They're scoring wonderfully. And that's totally true. They are scoring really well with Jakob Pertl on the floor. The starting lineup that they've rolled at the last two games with Yak and Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi, Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam, scoring better than 119 points per 100 possessions, which would be right among the top offenses in the league. Uh, the defense has been uh, ridiculous. It's at like 100 uh, defensive rating right now. Um, that's amazing to see, but it's a small sample. And again, I still think a lot of the sort of underlying stuff and the stuff over the course of the game in which those guys are not on the floor is giving me a little bit of concern about the offense and its ability to find some juice. Over the last eight games since Jakob Pertl arrived, the Raptors have the 20th best offense in the NBA, which when you factor in how good it's been with Yak on the floor, it's been real bad otherwise, uh, which goes to the staggering questions we're going to get get into in a little bit. Um, but like this was a thing I talked about, I think like three days after the trade, my concern with spacing and, and just the cramped nature of what the Raptors are going to run into. And, and that's happened, right? You know, Scotty Barnes, I think in particular, is still finding his best spot to slot in. And in fairness to him, he's been asked to play a whole bunch of different roles already in the last eight games. More of a wing role, kind of adapting from his middle of the floor sort of small ball center role that he was really excelling in in January. Then he goes to be more of a wing. Then Fred Van Vliet goes out for three games and he becomes the point guard to not so great results in terms of overall offensive performance. And then he's moved back to more of a wing role in the last couple of games here. And I just think it's... it's it's totally understandable that he's struggling to find that those spots in the offense where he's really cooking, but it's it's very real. It's happening. The lack of space is real. The Raptors are actually getting worse shots on the board uh, per cleaning the glass than they were before the Yak or Pirtle trade. And again, I don't think this is stuff that's going to carry on long term. I think Yak breathes a whole lot of life into the offense, and, and it's a good thing for a lot of reasons. But right now, they're struggling. They're, they're struggling with the spacing. They're struggling in terms of getting to the rim a little bit more than they used to. They're down a couple percentage points in terms of their rim frequency per cleaning the glass. And their shot quality overall has gone down by a little bit as well. Before the Acapurtle trade, they were 21st in location effective field goal percentage, which is a number on cleaning the glass, which is a great website. Lots of great advanced metrics to look at. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, it's worth a subscriber. Shout out to Ben Falk. But uh, the location effective field goal percentage is essentially... What would your expected effective field goal percentage be if an average player was taking shots from all the places you're getting shots from the floor? Um, and this skews towards teams that have good rim frequency and take a lot of threes. Those are the teams that have a higher location effective field goal percentage. If you're hanging out in the mid-range, if you are not taking the best shots, if you're taking, you know, just from the spots that you don't want to be analytically speaking, then your location effective field goal percentage is going to go down. The Raptors were 21st in this metric before Jakob Pertl arrived. They are 25, 25th in the league with a slight drop from 54.7. Their expected effective field goal percentage down to 54.1 in the uh, last couple games, last eight games since Jakob Pertl arrived. They're also are down to eight. 18th in corner three-point rate, and they were number 10 in corner three-point rate before the trade as well. So they're just figuring out how all these things work together, right? It's been a little bit hodgepodge in terms of who's been available. It's all understandable, but it's going to take some time, and I do think it might take too much time for them to really hit their full offensive gear before the end of the season. 
Thankfully, the defense has been absurd. And to sort of go back to the numbers on Jakob Pertl, yes, he's helped the offense a little bit per cleaning the glass. He's the team's 1.2 points per 100 possessions better offensively when he's on the floor. That's an improvement. That's nice. Uh, but they're 28.7 points per 100 better on defense when he's on the floor, which is ultimately the thing that's going to save this Raptors season. They are 11th in defense since Jakob Pertl arrived. Of course, they were flirting with the bottom 10 before he got in town, and that only figures to improve now that they have their full complement of guys. Uh, like the defense, I'm not worried about, despite some defensive misgivings against the Wizards, which we'll get into, mostly not in the half court, more so in transition. But, uh, you know, offensively, Yak has helped, but he's not helped the same degree that he's helped on defense, right? It's been exponentially more impactful for the defense than it has been the offense. And just the general lack of three-point shooting hurts. You have less guys right now who are hot. You have Fred Van Vliet going through a swoon. OG just getting back into the groove, which is great to see. But Scotty Barnes is not a great three-point shooter right now. That's going to be a massively important skill for him to hone over the offseason. He should be locked in the gym and forced to shoot a thousand three-pointers every single game uh, if the Raptors are uh, you know, directing his development properly over the, over the course of the offseason. It's a massive swing skill for this team to make it all work because as much as we love the big to big passing and what yak does in the middle of the floor the offensive rebounding the raptors are able to do with their size and with their selling out to go grab offensive boards to bolster their offense they still need half court efficiency and production and while it's come in spurts with Jakob Pertl there are still these little pockets where, you know, even Pascal Siakam doesn't look totally comfortable in his spots all the time. His touches are down a little bit. I still think he's going to be fine. But last night, not a great game from him. No field goals in the second half, just 13 points overall. Had six assists. He's still excellent. I'm not worried about Pascal Siakam, but there's a lot of change going on right now. And I do think Scotty Barnes is shooting, coupled with the fact that the other key three-point shooters on the team have not been super hot of late. OG, the exception the last couple of games here, which is really great to see. He was awesome last night. Um, but it's just, there's a little bit of pressure in terms of that offense. There's a lot of tension. There's a lot of, um, not so much in terms of like sharing the ball, the tension that we talked about earlier in the year, but there's just like, there's, there's not a ton of space for these guys to operate in. People aren't worried about Scotty Barnes shooting right now. Pascal Siakam is a hot and cold three-point shooter, which is, you know, he was one of five last night. He's two of ten, I think, over his last two games. And you notice the difference when he's cold. And it's just there's not a lot of life being breathed into those offensive sets where it's coming to a three-point shooter who you feel comfortable with. And that's just something to watch. I'm not saying it's like a, a doom-spelling issue for the Raptors or anything like that. When Jakob Pertl's on the floor, they've been very, very good. But in terms of just like the health of the offense, there have been great sequences of beautiful ball movement and incredible cutting and off-ball action and all of this stuff. But it hasn't been common enough, and I do think it's going to take a little bit longer, perhaps, than the 18-game runway they have here to really hone in this offense. So if it, there is going to be a downfall for this team, I think it's going to come on the offensive end of the floor, as we've seen of late with the Bulls game and the Cavs game and the Pistons game. You know, it, it's been not the greatest set of offensive performances here, despite the numbers actually painting the Jakob Pertl-centric lineups being quite good with the uh, with the offensive side of things. So again... Um, just something to keep an eye on. This will become a longer-term issue if Scotty Barnes can't take uh, the next step with his threes or if Pascal Siakam can't find some consistency level off at like 36-37%. That's longer-term sort of stuff for the future, but for right now, it's uh, they got to improvise, and the defense has to be as good as it's been because, uh, man, 
it's really good in the half court when they're, they're just kind of they're in their sets. They're, they're even if they're playing a little bit more of an aggressive style, uh, Jakob Pertl's been able to really clean up a lot of the messes, and that is what's going to drive this team down the stretch for sure. Uh, we're going to come back on the other side, get into the desperate need for Nick Nurse to find himself a damn rotation that makes sense and the need to find some core lineups outside of, I would say, two that they have right now that they can kind of count on as core looks for them. We'll get to that in just one second. But first, have to tell you about our friends over at Nissan who are bringing you, of course, the Nissan Aria Electric Player of the Week. We love Nissan. We love electric players. It's a wonderful combination. Nissan's most electric player of the week is brought to you by the all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria. Uh, and this week's player is going to be Chris Boucher, I think. We've had Jakob Pertl the last couple times out, but Chris Boucher's been awesome. He has been the bright light off of the bench. Last night against the Wizards, had himself a really excellent game. He's bombing in threes. He had three of five against the Bulls on Tuesday, two of two from deep, and the just an infusion of electricity that Chris Boucher on a heater brings into this team is absolutely necessary and really, really fun to watch. He's fiercely elegant on those transition dunks. He's elegantly powerful when he goes up to throw it down. And uh, he's a really, really electric player to watch when he is on his best. It delivers on all of the things that the Nissan Aria brings as well. The 2023 Nissan Aria packs pin you to your seat power and premium intelligence all in one EV. The all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria, the EV for people who love to drive. Shop now at NissanUSA.com. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring, but for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, we continue on here with your first listen of the day. Locked on Raptors, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Uh, let's dive in now to, I think, another takeaway I had from the game. Nick Nurse getting wild with his rotation, specifically in the second quarter. This was the, uh, the, the, I think, the thing that everyone on Raptors internet was mad about last night, and rightfully so. I think there were more reasons why the Raptors lost this game than just the seven to nine minutes to open the second quarter, but certainly it put them behind the eight ball and made it very difficult for them to make enough ground up in the second half against a Wizards team that was trying its ass off. Uh, and like the, it cost them for sure. The, the Raptors rolled out some pretty... Silly looking lineups with, you know, Will Barton as like the lead ball handler in a couple of situations and just his first real run with the team. Played seven minutes, did nothing, hasn't scored yet for the Raptors yet. We'll see on the Will Barton thing, but you get Precious Achua in these lineups as well. Uh, really, really struggling to, and, you know, just kind of screaming for Yaka Pertl to get subbed back in, in that second quarter in particular, and Nick Nurse, for some reason, waited until there were three minutes left in the second quarter to bring Yaka Pertl back in. 
ultimately it led to having to play the starters basically the entire second half um and yak was incredible obviously but it just it's a really <laughs> difficult thing to not have these in-between lineups that can just save you and, and save you from having to bring your guys back in and make it so it's not like a puzzling decision when Yakker Pirtle gets some rest, right? Like, obviously, guys got a rest here and there, but it was too long of a time on the bench, I would say, for Yak in that first half. And it just, it really, really, they felt it. They, they really, really felt the impact of it. Um, you know, Thad Young, pretty rough operating as the small ball center for a couple possessions, couldn't finish on the roll, not much of a rim protector. The rim defense just kind of falls apart when there's no Jakob Pertle out there. It's kind of stunning, actually, that the Raptors survived uh, around just below 500 for as long as they did without Jakob Pertle instead of falling into the uh, the doomed tank zone just because of how miserable it looks like when they don't have a real rim protector on the floor. Um, but, you know, you, you couple that with Gary Trent Jr. having an off night and just, I don't think they figured out those sort of in-between core lineups that are going to work for them. And in fairness, like, it's still a work in progress. It's it's newfound depth that they have right now, and Nick Nurse is sorting through things. But there are some obvious, like, unforced errors, like keeping Jakob Pertle on the bench for nine minutes in the second quarter as Daniel Gafford is eviscerating you on the inside uh, that just don't need to be made. And, you know, I, I understand completely the criticisms of Nick Nurse and his rotation patterns. You know, it really does come down to can they find two or three of these in-between transition lineups that they can lean on. They found, I think, two core lineups that are going to be their sort of staples that we're going to see a ton. There's that starting lineup that they've used the last couple of games, Fred, OG, Pascal, Scotty, and Yak. That lineup... I think is going to be rock solid. The early returns are fantastic. Again, a better than plus 19 net rating in 43 minutes for them. It's a small, small sample against the Bulls and the Wizards, but those are teams that are playing hard and competitive, very good defenses, or at least you know played good defense against the Raptors in both games they played. Um, you know that th- th- those that, that line is going to be good. I, I do think, especially as Fred's shooting comebacks comes back around, hopefully. That lineup is going to be something that puts up really good tilted numbers, starts games off well for the Raptors, puts them in a good favorable position. Then you've got the small ball starters who, again, the returns have been mixed, but they've shown that late in games, that the sort of optionality of having five different guys who can score on you, if they can defend well enough, which they've shown the capacity to do in, in small spurts, that lineup can be a real staple for you as well. It's after that. The combinations of guys, how do you best pair your starters with bench guys around them to really make it work? And this is complicated by the fact that Precious Achua is playing really bad basketball right now. Offensively, he looks lost. I still think he's an outstanding defender. He's had a lot of really great one-on-one sequences against very good opponents of late. But it's just the offense is kind of really, really bad right now. He had a couple of moments last night working in the pick and roll hesitation, putting up flat floaters that aren't going in, um, you know, just kind of seeming like he's thinking ahead of the things that his body is doing and it's leading to all sorts of unforced errors. And that creates a challenge in piecing together these lineups. You factor in that Thad Young's not playing super well either and the depth be- begins to look a little less sure than it was. Um, you know, I wonder if we get a call up for Jeff Doughton sometime soon here if the Will Barton experience keeps on being not so hot. Again, two games for Will Barton. I'm not too worried about it. We'll see. He's got to get more sort of acclimated to the team. Team. Um, but, you know, they did not get enough from the second unit in this game. And ultimately, the lineup decisions don't matter if the guys who you put out there are going to be butt anyway. But you got to put guys in the best position to succeed. And I don't know if they're really doing that. You know, I, I think Yak and Fred feels like a duo who should probably be together and sort of work off of one another. I think Scotty and Pascal as well work really nicely with one another as sort of the two leading guys in a lineup. 
And you can sprinkle good shooting and sort of complimentary pieces in around those guys. We just haven't seen Nick Nurse stick with anything for any meaningful amount of time, really, all season. There was, like, one stretch in, like, the middle of January where they got a little bit uh, of, like, a bench look with Malachi Flynn and stuff going for for a hot second there. But that's really all they've done. And Nick Nurse, it's sort of like the anti-Dwayne Casey concern where Dwayne Casey would run the same lineups every single game, minute by minute, like, the same rotation. You would you could set your watch to it. It's the opposite here, and, and when you don't have a lot of runway, I feel like you got to just sort of settle on something and let to, just let it see if it can germinate into something better and bigger and, and more effective for you. I, I don't know really. Um, you know, outside of the Fred Yak pair again, I think Pascal OG works. You, I think you could even go like Pascal OG Trent Barnes Boucher as like a really good in between lineup. You give Yak and Fred some rest together. You bring in that lineup. Barnes can be the point guard. You have pretty good shooting around, especially with the way Boucher's played of late. Maybe that's a staple lineup for you. Um, you know, Precious has to be better too. Will Barton's going to slot into some of these lineups as an extra infusion of shooting as well. Maybe even replacing a Precious at some point here if Precious just keeps on struggling the way he has um, but ultimately like Nick Nurse needs to find a set rotation he needs to find more core lineups that can work they found two that's great they've barely had one all season long it's nice to have two and it's nice to have one now with Jakob Pertl that's like a real banger of a lineup it seems like but they got to find some in-between lineups and they can't be just pissing away second quarters uh, like they did against the Wizards yesterday it was just really really not good to see we're going to come back on the other side, dig into the good, the bad, and the hmm from the game against the Wizards. We'll do that in just a moment. Before we do that, however, got to tell you about our friends over at Built Bar, who make the best tasting protein bars money can buy. You've heard me talk about Built Bar for a long time on this show, and it's because they're great. They are a delicious treat. It makes it feel like you're being indulgent when you're not actually being indulgent. It's a wonderful trick they've pulled off. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how to make these bars taste like candy bars, but they do. For me, peanut butter brownie, that's the one, baby. It's got a little crunch to it with the peanut butter. It's got the brownie flavor. It's a really, really winning combination, but they have fruit-forward flavors. They've got uh, their marshmallow puffs as well, which are also delicious. They have granola bars, a whole range of options. There will absolutely be something that you like on the Built bar list of options so go check them out either at the website built.com all bars only 130 calories four grams of sugar whopping 17 grams of protein those are some really great details on those bars as well and like i said you can get them at the at built.com or you can go to walmart and go pick up yourself a box just go to the pharmacy section pick up a four box and you are laughing go get yourself some built bars they're wonderful no matter what moves you made last year TurboTax experts make them count Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming. Or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. File with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So, switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. All right, let's uh, continue on here. Round up the show with the good, the bad, and the hmm, the way we round out every single game recap episode here on Lockdown Raptors. Trying to pick a thing I liked, 
thing I didn't like so much and a thing that's got me a little intrigued as a potentially burgeoning trend or topic, good or bad. Let's begin with the good. The good for me is OG Ananobi and Jakob Pertl's chemistry finally coming into view here. Just a couple of games, what, five games now between those two guys playing together. But it makes sense, right? OG is, I think, the best cutter on the team. He's really good at picking his spots to get just sort of get deep position, whether it's cutting baseline, whether it's also sealing guys out. That's another thing I think Yak's going to be able to hit him with quite a bit. Um, but, like, he's just... OG's a really good off-ball player, and Yak is a guy who's going to make off-ball players very, very happy. And I think, you know, the couple of instances we saw last night of Yak at the elbow, you run an action off the ball, and it just happens that OG squeaks through and is under the basket wide open uncontested. That's really great play design, first of all. Really great play execution, and then just, I think, a really understandable connection between two guys whose skills I think overlap quite nicely. Um, And like, this is a way you can kind of use space to your advantage in a way where, you know, on a team where there's not a lot of space, not a lot of shooting threat. If you sort of invert the way you work and you work outside in with your big man, you pull him away from the basket. uh, You're not worried about his defender kind of sagging off of him and clogging the paint. He's got to come up. He's got to defend those elbow actions, those dribble handoffs, the things he's running from far away from the boot, from the hoop. And it kind of creates inverted space where now there's space under the basket for guys to go and exploit. And Yak's a good enough passer and good enough with his reads. He can actually exploit that. So really, really liking that duo. Great to see OG had his game last night, 26, three, two and two with a block and nine of 16. Obviously Yak was outstanding in this game. Let's just read his line. 23, 13, four, three and two on eight of nine, seven of seven from the line. Those two guys were the reason the Raptors did not get completely waxed in this game. They were awesome and uh, really great to see. The bad for me, the transition defense in this game, our pal Eric Kareen tweeted about it. I believe they gave up two points per possession uh, in the first half in transition defense last night, or it was Blake Murphy that tweeted about this. Either way, sorry for the misattribution. Um, But overall, the numbers bear out. This was an awful, awful transition defense game for a team that struggles defensively in transition kind of as a rule anyway. On the season, per cleaning the glass, they've been 20th in transition defense this season. Uh, Opponents average three points per game added, sorry, three points per 100 possessions added in transition is the way they they calculate it. Uh, That puts them, again, 20th in the league. Last night, 10.9 points per 100 possessions added for the Wizards in transition. That would be the number one score in the league by a pretty significant margin. Uh, It's really, really bad. They they just didn't play hard, it seemed like, in those transition sequences. The Wizards played harder. It's reductive, but it kind of feels that simple, and it kind of feels true. Just not a banner night for the Raptors. The transition defense was a nightmare, and credit to the Wizards for exploiting that and making it a thing that they kind of won this game with, because really, uh, you know, you get a couple of transition stops, and you get Fred Van Vliet hitting a couple extra threes, the Raptors win this game probably pretty comfortably, Um, but not their night, it turns out, Uh, yeah, bad, bad transition defense, even worse than we are typically used to with this not very good transition defense. Let's get to the hmm to round it out. For me, uh, Fred Van Vliet, it's really interesting right now. As much as this is a stretch of the season where it's about pushing for the playoffs and all of that, it's also about fact-finding and trying to get as much information as you can of what this team looks like with Jakob Pertl in there. Uh, They look like a real basketball team again, which is the first nice bit of information. But the other bits of information you're looking for are, 
who are the guys who are going to be the ones you can have on this team long term where it's going to work, where it's going to fit. And I have been pretty staunch in my belief that Fred Van Vliet or someone who has the skills that Fred Van Vliet brings to the table needs to be on the team next season in order to ensure this team is in the best position to maximize next year, which will be another prime season for Pascal Siakam, a full season with Jakob Pertl, hopefully some growth built in for Scotty Barnes as well. Next season's a big year, and you need to have someone with point guard skills, much like Fred Van Vliet has. And because of the lack of very clear upgrades out there, it seems... I've been pretty on the side that Fred Van Vliet should be that guy, and you give him the run, you pay him this offseason, you let him be the point guard for this team, because I think he can do it. But I do wonder, you know, been a couple of really rough shooting games for him out of the gate here. Two of 11 from three last night. He was one of 11 overall in his debut. Uh, Apparently, you know, history suggesting that Fred Van Vliet becomes Reggie Miller at the Garden after the birth of the child. That is uh, not holding true right now. That's fine. Whatever. Maybe the heater's coming. Um, But... Like, I do wonder how long this stretch will have to continue before the Raptors front office starts to get a little bit squirmy about what that next deal is going to look like for Fred. He was really good in January into the trade deadline. Um, Obviously, has three games off, new child. I'm not surprised there's some struggle here. Rust, all of that. Um, I would imagine he's going to turn it back around. I'm not too worried about Fred Van Vliet. And I also just think the way he's played... With Jakob Pertl, it's been really thrilling to watch. He's been playmaking his ass off. Uh, eight assists again last night. I think this is like, our friend Kirtika tweeted this out. Uh, going into last night, it was the most assists Fred had ever had over a three-game period over the previous three games. He adds eight more to his total last night. Works that pick and roll with Yak beautifully. It brings a whole lot more juice to the Raptors' offense, even if Fred's not shooting. If he is shooting, it's a game-changer. And they're going to have to see him shoot, I think, by the end of the season. And I would imagine he's going to, but I'm just watching it. Like, if there's a long stretch here where where Fred can't knock down his threes, and he's maybe, you know, working in some of that stuff that he talked about early in the season where he was missing left and right as opposed to dead on and missing short or long, um, you know, the mechanical side of things as well. Like, all of that is stuff to watch here, at least, for the Raptors and for for the Raptors fan base, uh, because I do think it might inform exactly what happens with him in the offseason. It might even inform, like, the size of his contract and all of that, too. I think Fred Van Fleet's very good and very important, but this stretch of bad shooting, if it persists too long, I think it could kind of create some questions for the Raptors front office, some uncomfortable ones. And I don't want to see it happen. I like Fred Van Vliet a lot. I think he's very good, and, and I don't see a very clear pathway to upgrading what he brings to the team over the course of the offseason. It's possible I'm missing something and that some, you know, Ball, he- you know, shooting heavy point guard is going to be available. But uh, right now, Fred's the best option you got, and he's got to be better than he was last night. If he shoots normally from deep last night, the Raptors, I think, probably win that game. They probably run away with it early as Fred had a whole bunch of looks. A couple of stretches, too, were just like one one please fall there was that sort of broken down stretch of tennis that the Wizards and Raptors were playing in the third quarter yesterday I think where it just felt like all they needed was one of these wide open Fred chaos threes to fall and it's just going to lock everything to place the Raptors are going to get back on track they're going to win this game and they just could not capitalize there it was pretty devastating in that game again overall I think his his importance is very clear and real but uh certainly something to watch uh going forward if, if the stretch continues with the bad shooting could get weird in the offseason I'm just uh again it's a hmm this is not a, a definitive thing or anything like that just something I'm watching we're gonna round it there 
Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, really appreciate those who support the show and, uh, you know, to do all the stuff you can to support it. You're all the very, very best. We'll be back again on Monday to break down Raptors Wizards 2.0. Hopefully, we're talking about a win and uh, not a very, very frustrating loss. Again, um, maybe I'll lose my mind if they lose again to the Wizards like they did last night. Well, well, we will see. But either way, thank you so much for tuning in, and uh, we will talk to you Monday. Have a wonderful weekend. In the meantime, go make your second listen of the day, Locked on Leafs, as the Buds were busy into the deadline. By the time this airs and by the time you listen, they may have already made more trades. Go listen to Locked on Leafs with Mike and Dave as they are keeping you up to date with everything going on with the Buds in what is a very pivotal season for that franchise, Uh, not unlike with your Toronto Raptors. Uh, just with, I think, bigger stakes, as they are very, very good. Uh, But we'll wrap it there. Have a good weekend, everybody. Bye-bye. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.